Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending us again your Son, your Son who is the one who provides us the waters of eternal life, the bread of life, the one in whom we truly need to live. Thank you, Father, for satisfying in us our every need through the provision of your Son. Thank you, God, for allowing us to to know life fully through faith in Him. And God, we praise you and thank you for, uh, as we have sung, we we desire and long for you. We pray that uh, as we open your book now, that you would feed us and that you would nourish us from your word, that as we feed upon your word that we would grow in in Christ-likeness, grow in maturity, grow in strength, and that we would live and walk by faith for the days that you have us here on earth. We pray that uh, you would be glorified, that your spirit would come before us, that your spirit would enable us to understand your word, teach us, guide us into your truths. Help us to not only know and understand, but apply and live out your word in our lives. That we would be the kind of worshipers that you wish us to be, worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Numbers chapter 28, verses, uh, Numbers chapter 28, uh, verse 1, actually. We're going to go through Numbers 28 and 29 today, two chapters. So we're going to, again, it's a lengthy passage. We're going to read a lot of, the majority of our sermon will probably be reading, uh, reading the text. And so uh, hopefully as you're, uh, you're hearing the text that you're, uh, the, the Lord is pointing out just uh, some of the key ideas to you in this sermon, but I'll be doing some explaining in between uh, the reading of the text. Numbers 28 to 29 is where we'll be. All right. I know many of you are Bible scholars here, so uh, you probably already know the answer, but uh, uh, here's a, a Bible question for you. Um, according to the scriptures, how often should you worship God? How often should you worship God? Now, I know many of us, um, I'm not sure in this room, but many people would probably answer, well, we should worship the Lord weekly. Uh, the fourth commandment uh, given to Israel was to observe the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Uh, and so um, weekly is what uh, Israelites did, and uh, when the church began, Christians continued to observe the Sabbath, a gathering weekly for worship. Well, uh, maybe others would say, give a different answer. Uh, maybe it's as often as you, the Lord leads you to. Maybe it's uh, a weekly. Maybe it's uh, Christmas and Easter uh, is my your answer, and if that's your answer, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, but today's passage gives us an answer to our question, how often should we worship God? And it's not weekly. Numbers 28 through 29 that we'll look at today, details for the generation, the second generation of Israel of how they were to worship their God. 
uh, at least certain aspects of how they were to worship God. And although this instruction is given to the nation Israel, God's chosen nation Israel, we're going to find truths that uh, were true for them and, and will, are true in its application even to believers, followers of God today. Uh, we are all still, like Israel, worshipers of God, and uh, to the, the principles of worship that we can draw out from this text are principles for worship that we can uh, draw for ourselves, just like uh, perhaps the book of Psalms is a book of worship uh, written by Israelites, but yet uh, in that book many of the principles are still applicable for uh, us today, and same with Numbers 28 through 29. Number, as just a quick review, we are in that latter half of the book of Numbers. The, big, the book as a whole is a description of Israel's wandering through the wilderness. Uh, wandering through the wilderness, and it's meant to teach Israel of, of God's faithfulness to them, even though they are, have, are oftentimes unfaithful to him. And uh, it's a tale of two generations, a generation that was uh, both strove, strove to walk with the Lord, but the first generation at the critical moment in their uh, history uh, failed to walk by faith and were condemned to die in the wilderness. They did not enter the promised land. And that happened all in Numbers chapter 1 through 25. In Numbers 26 to 36, the latter half of the book is a tale of the second generation. It's a generation also that strives to walk with the Lord. They worship the Lord. And they are um, and they're waiting to enter the promised land. And so it's a, just like with the first generation, they're given an opportunity. God prepares them. God equips them to enter the land. And, and um, as we will see, they uh, will succeed where, where their parents' generation fails. But yet, uh, while they're waiting in the plains of Moab, uh, across the Jordan River, opposite of Jericho, uh, they are waiting. They are receiving God's instruction to prepare them for life in the promised land. And life in the promised land would be a life that's characterized, at least it ought to be characterized, by worship, worship of God. Um, although many worship details that are kind of alluded to here in this chapter are uh, described in greater detail in Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers 28 through 29 focus really on the, the summary of all the, the offerings and the sacrifices that Israel was to make to the Lord their God. And the reason why these offerings are kind of mentioned again or emphasized here is because the second generation um, was not present or were quite young when God gave Moses the law at Mount Sinai. That was their parents' generation that received that law. And while they still had the law, they still had Moses, they needed a fresh reminder of their need to worship him. Not only do we learn that they need to worship the Lord, but we will be reminded that we, you and I, must worship the Lord. There are many details here that we could point out, uh, but as we walk through the text, I, hopefully, just simply reading it, but hopefully, as I pointed out, will be impressed upon us some of the main points, some of the big pictures, uh, these big themes that kind of almost uh, go throughout Scripture for many of these offerings, as you know, uh, as, we will con- as we will discover, remind us and point to us of God's ultimate sacrifice, God's ultimate offering, and that is of His Son. So, we're going to be encouraged to worship the Lord through our text today. For our outline, we're going to look at four times of offerings. 
that remind God's people of their need to worship the Lord. Four times of offerings that remind God's people of their need to worship the Lord. If you were to ask an Israelite in those days, how often should I worship the Lord? They would point you probably to Numbers 28 to 29 and say, thus is what the Lord says. These are the how often we are to worship the Lord. And the first time of offering that is described in our passage are the daily offerings, daily offerings. In chapter 28, verse 1 day, we come across the daily offerings that the Lord has Israel to observe. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be careful to present my offering, my food for my offerings by fire, of a soothing aroma to me at their appointed time. You shall say to them, This is the offering by fire which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs, one year old, without defect, as a continual burnt offering every day. You shall offer the one lamb in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering, mixed with a fourth of a hin of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering which was ordained in Mount Sinai as a soothing aroma an offering by fire to the Lord. Then the drink offering with it shall be a fourth of a hin for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight as the grain offering of the morning and as its drink offering you shall offer it, an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. And so verses 1 to 2 is an introduction, in fact, to the whole section, 28 and 29. It's uh, Lord again is speaking to Moses. He's instructing Moses to instruct Israel. And the focus on offering or offerings is at the very forefront. You, you cannot miss the word. Over 120 times over these next two chapters, we find the word offer or offering referred to. In fact, uh, there's, uh, these two, it's, it is... Uh, Nowhere else is it this in the scriptures is it so predominant in these than in these two chapters. Note that the Lord calls twice in these in this verse, verse particular verse two, he calls them my offering, my offerings. They were my offerings in the sense that they are given to him, they're in given as instructions from him, but they're offerings that Israel was to offer to him. So it's God telling his people how to give make an offering to him. And so they were to be careful because this is God giving instruction. They were to be careful with what they offered to the Lord. They couldn't be careless like Nadab and Abihu who had offered strange fire and died. Uh, or couldn't be uh, like the, those who rebelled with the sons of Korah who tried to offer uh, incense who were not, of the, uh, not Levites or not priests and so they themselves were, were struck and killed. Uh, note that these offerings were offered not just uh, one time or twice, uh, but they're, in the verse 2 it mentions that they are, often, they are offered at their appointed time. This phrase, at their appointed time, is going to be repeated at the end of, our, of chapter 29. There, 29 verse 39, through, these offerings are to be appointed at their off, appointed times. God is teaching his people as he bookends this, uh, all these various offerings, that they are to offer them at the appointed times. These, there's a significance to the times in which he has them to offer the respective, these various offerings that they bring to him. Now having said that, the offerings that they were to be carefully kept in verse 3 to 8 were the daily offerings. This is the daily offerings that they were to make. They were to offer two male lambs. One was to be offered in the morning, 
the other was to be offered at twilight, the, right before the, the official evening time. These were to be offered as a continual burnt offering. They were to be completely burned up. Oftentimes we see that repeated throughout this passage, a continual burnt offering. It's to be continually uh, uh, offered, regularly offered. It's to be burned up, consumed wholly, uh, symbolic of, of our lives and that, are, that, are, that every animal is a representative of us and of the people, and they were to be completely consumed. It's a, a life, a representative of our lives. Twice, uh, you'll notice in verse 6 and verse 8, the offering is described also as a soothing aroma to the Lord. So this phrase is mentioned throughout the text as well, and it stands out, and we, you should under, we should understand what this phrase means. Why is it called a soothing aroma to the Lord? What does that mean? Is it, is it that God really likes the smell of roasted lamb, like we might like, you know, a prime rib or something like that? No, of course not. God is not, he's not, phys, he's not, he doesn't, he's spirit, he's not a physical being, he does not eat food, does not need food like we, like we do. But this first time that this phrase, soothing aroma, is found, and it goes, a lot of times the meanings of words are, are significantly found in the first time that it appears in the scriptures. Um, and the first time that it appears in the scriptures is in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. It was shortly after the flood when Noah came out of the ark, he built an altar, and then he offered animal sacrifices of all the clean animals uh, that uh, the Lord had helped him to preserve. And when he offered those animal sacrifices, this is what we read happened in Genesis 8.21. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. So the animal sacrifice we see from Genesis 8.21, when they were offered to the Lord, are a soothing aroma to him, in that they, they appease God's wrath for our sin. We cannot forget why the flood existed, why the flood occurred. It is because all the world was sinful, and they were completely caught up in their sin. And we cannot forget that today, all the world remains sinful that we still are sinful. None of us can live righteously before him. So how then can a holy God dwell among sinful men? None can live righteously before him. How can, he, how can sinful men live before a holy God when God dwells in their midst as he did with Israel? It can only happen through the, through the offering of an animal sacrifice to cover their sins. He teaches this to his people by this offering of a daily, of lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening as a covering for their sin before a holy God. Daily, they needed the covering of an animal sacrifice, the atonement of an animal sacrifice for their sin because God is holy and Israel was sinful. He reminds his people then of their need to worship him daily for his daily provision of grace and mercy that he would receive an animal sacrifice in place of the lives that we deserve to die because of our sin. And each day, the worshiper of God, then the worship of God today, ought to offer praises to the Lord. And we offer God, and when we praise God, we praise Him for many things. We, we praise Him for our lives, perhaps. We praise Him for our food. We praise Him for our family. 
But most of all, every day as worshipers of God, we should be praising him for the mercy and grace that he shows to us. That he has every right to judge us right here and now for our sins. The, uh, the moment that I, I, I sinned or you sinned, God has a right to, dis- to strike you down there. But he doesn't. And that's his grace. That's his mercy. And he shows that to the believer and he shows that to the unbeliever every single day of our lives. It is through the sacrifice of the animal. It is really that <clears throat> it is through ultimately God's grace and mercy that anyone can have fellowship with the holy, our holy God. Israel, that fellowship was, was made possible for them through a male lamb offered every morning and every evening. But for the Christian today, for the worship people of God today, it does not look like a male lamb offered in the morning and the evening. We don't need to offer our sacrifice because our fellowship, our, our relationship with God is possible through Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection made the way for our daily relationship with him. And though we have sin, and we sin probably every day of our lives, yet God shows mercy and grace to us because of his sacrifice of his son. That's the daily worship that we should do, we should have. It should be a daily kind of worship. Israel offered worship daily. Secondly, Israel is reminded of their need to worship the Lord in their weekly offerings. They are to worship the Lord weekly. And this is uh, just two verses here in 28, verse 9 to 10. Then on the Sabbath day, two male lambs, one year old without defect, and two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath in addition to the continual burnt offering and its drink offering. Uh, this is very short considering that it's the Sabbath, but uh, if you think about it, the the Exodus Leviticus has a lot more to say about all the details about the Sabbath, what you could do, could not do on the Sabbath. But once a week on the Sabbath, a Saturday, that was from evening, from, uh, evening Friday till uh, basically evening Saturday, uh, this was that Sabbath period. In addition to the two daily lambs, on that Sabbath day, two more male lambs are offered to the Lord. Um, and of course, this, the fact that it happens on a Sabbath day, that, this, that two extra lambs are offered, is, shows that the significance of this day, this day stands out. Of course, we, uh, every Israelite would have known the purpose of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest for the nation. It was uh, first established by God because it was the day that in God's uh, sovereign plan, he chose to create the world in six days and rested on the seventh day, according to Genesis 2, verse 2. And so he re- in his example of rest, uh, he showed that the people of God were to rest Interestingly, in addition to that, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, God instructs Israel to observe the Sabbath also as a reminder of their deliverance from Egypt. He says, uh, he says uh, this uh, in Deuteronomy 5, 15, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The weekly offering on the Sabbath is a reminder to Israel that their rest is found in the Lord. Just as they rest from work, 
They also remembered that their, of their rest from enslavement in Egypt, their deliverance of God. It's, in, in Egypt, they were forced to, uh, to slave labor, and they rarely had time to rest as slaves. But because of God's deliverance, God gave them rest from that slavery. God, they remember in observing the Sabbath by offering their weekly offerings that God is the source of rest for them. God is the source of, of, of peace for them. Now, although we sh- as worshipers of God today, we don't observe the Sabbath like the Israelite, the early church, of course, followed the same pattern, a similar pattern of weekly offering. They did, instead of Sabbath day, they, offer, they uh, worshiped the Lord on the Lord's day, Sunday, what we would call Sunday. And just as uh, the daily offering of the lambs pointed to Jesus, so the additional two lambs offered on the Sabbath day also was a pointer to Jesus Christ, who was the Lamb of God. And we, though we don't bring offering animal offerings, when we gather weekly, we remember that we too uh, have a rest from the Lord. A rest from not enslavement in Egypt, but an enslavement to sin. And it's through the sacrifice, not of, a, of animals, but the sacrifice of his son on the cross. We worship weekly. When we gather together weekly, we, we remember the rest that we have. It's supposed to be a day of rest in, in, in the Lord because we rest in the provision that he's made for us through Jesus Christ. So weekly offerings were part of Israel's worship of the Lord. Thirdly, Israel is reminded of their need to worship the Lord in their monthly offerings. Monthly offerings, verse 11 to 15 of chapter 28. Then, we continue on. Then at the beginning of each of your months, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord, two bulls and one ram, seven male lambs, one year old without defect, and three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, for each bull and two tenths of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering for the one ram. And a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering for each lamb. For a burnt offering of a soothing aroma and offering by fire to the Lord. Their drink offering shall be a half hin of wine for a bull and a third of a hin for the ram and a fourth of a hin for a lamb. This is the burnt offering of each month throughout the months of the year. And one male goat for a sin offering to the Lord. It shall be offered with its drink offering in addition to the continual burnt offering. So now we see a different instruction, a monthly offering that was instructed. It was to take place every new moon. Um, I don't know if you, you are aware much of the lunar, of the lunar cycle, but uh, those of you that grew up in ancestral worship poems would remember that. I remember in my home, there was this Chinese calendar always on the wall and somewhere in our home. And there would be like, uh, it would indicate when the different cycles of the moon were. And it tells you when, the, when it would be the new moon. It would always be the, that'd be the first day of, the, of that lunar, uh, lunar month. And I remember uh, my, uh, my, my family would offer uh, offerings on that, uh, the beginning of that lunar month uh, to our ancestors. Uh, back then, so and, and so much, much of the uh, many, just like in our my culture, in this Hebrew culture, they had a lunar calendar, unlike our solar calendar today. 
But every new moon, Israel was then to offer a burnt offering, a burnt offering of animal sacrifices. And you'll notice that the animals, number of animals increases by a significant amount. It's no longer just one male lamb or two male lambs. Now it's two bulls and one ram, seven male lambs without defect. And then, of course, along with this, you notice there's a lot of repetition of this offering of a grain offering, uh, a grain along mixed with oil to make a cake of some sort, like a, a you know, a, a, a flour with some oil to make it some kind of bread that was offered to the Lord, along with a drink offering. And they was accompany every offering, a, a grain offering, drink offering. Of course, we, we had already looked back at this earlier numbers, that this grain offering, drink offering, were just reminders that of the blessings and the abundance of the land in which they were to move into. They could only offer them because this was indication that God gave them a land of fruitful, full of uh, milk and honey, from which they could harvest grain, that they could grow uh, wine, uh, wine uh, branches, <laughs> and uh, shows you uh, my agriculture knowledge, uh, and that which they can then use to offer the Lord. But the animals are, are at the forefront, and there are now a greater number of animals. Now, but what's interesting, even as we mentioned, that, and those, that number of animals, the two bulls, one ram, seven male lambs, is going to be repeated, uh, as we're going to see moving ahead. But at the end of this, and what's also repeated is what, something that stands out. At the end of all this, it says, and verse 15, one male goat for a sin offering to the Lord. One male goat. Back in Leviticus 4, the Lord, the Lord had taught Israel that a person who sins unintentionally and becomes, then eventually becomes aware of it was to offer a goat for a sin offering. So it's like a, basically an unintentional sin. You didn't know about it. Then you, then you realize, oh, I sinned. Oops, I'm sorry. And you, know, you would bring your guilt offering, a goat, and then you would confess your sin to the Lord. That, sin, that goat would be sacrificed on your behalf uh, for your sin. Normally throughout their days when a person was guilty of sin, then he would bring a guilt offering to the Lord and confess their sins. But in this new moon offering, sins committed but not atoned for yet, not covered for yet by an animal sacrifice, are covered by this addition of this goat for a sin offering every month. And what God does is this, is that God reminds Israel of their continual need, again, of their, their continual need of a covering for sin. Israel in those days are no different than us. Some sins we are aware of. And I hope that most of us, when we become aware of sin, we confess them as sin. We repent of them as sin. We don't hold on to them as sin. But we know that Christ died for our sins, so we want to turn away from sin. Once a month, you hear, uh, we, we seek to, rem- we try to remember Christ's death for our sins. And then when we take communion that once a month, we just did it uh, last week, we take time to examine our lives for, for what? For unconfessed sin. The warning of taking the, the bread or the cup in an unworthy manner. We, we strive to examine and we ask God, show, show us, Lord, is there any, any sin in my life that I must repent or confess of? But even then, when you think about it, how, many, how likely is it that there are sins in our life that we've committed that we're not even ever aware of? Unless someone tells us, a brother or sister who loves us and comes alongside, we might continue on ignorantly unless the Word of God brings it out into our lives. 
And if there are unconfessed sins in our life that we're unaware of, won't those sins affect our lives? Of course they will. And yet, does God forgive us of those sins? Of course we know he does. For we know that if we believe in Jesus Christ and God forgives us of our sins, past, present, and future, sins that we are aware of and sins that we are even unaware of, they are all paid for once and for all when Christ died on the cross. But even here, we, this reminder, the addition of the sin offering on a monthly basis teaches Israel of their constant need to have their sins covered. We, like Israel, are always needing God's mercy to have our sins covered. It's not like you, you believe in Jesus Christ, you had your sins forgiven at that point, and then from that point on, you, it's on you to, to live a perfect, righteous life. Because none of us can do that. None of us have done that. We all fail and fall short of God's glory. We constantly need God's grace, God's mercy, God's covering of sin. And that covering for us is because of Jesus. Fourthly and lastly, and, and the most uh, significantly of all, uh, we see in this passage that Israel is reminded of their need to worship the Lord through their annual offerings. And there are many, there are <laughs> several actually, many of this, from 28.16 all the way through 29.40. And there's going to be a lot of several subpoints here as we go through these various annual feasts, these annual off-time uh, festivals which the Israelites observed. And so they were taught to worship the Lord through their annual offerings. And the first annual offering that's covered in 28, 16 to 25 is the, is the Feast of Passover, or as well as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's a, Passover was, uh, began on the Nisan 14, and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread basically took place the seven days after that from 15th and following. And we read this in, then in Numbers 28, 16 and following. Then on the 14th day of the first month shall be the Lord's Passover. On the 15th day of this month shall be a feast. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. You shall present an offering by fire, a burnt offering to the Lord. Two bulls and one ram and seven male lambs, one year old, having having them without defect. For their green offering, you shall offer fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for a bull, and two-tenths for the ram. A tenth of an ephah you shall offer for each of the seven lambs, and one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall present these bodies, these besides the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a continual burnt offering. After this, ma- after this manner... You shall present daily for seven days the food of the offering by fire, of a soothing aroma to the Lord. It shall be presented with its drink offering in addition to the continual burnt offering. On the seventh day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. So there's uh, a lot of details here, but then in this section, it most, uh, we see that here, particularly it's talking about the Passover, and the Passover is probably, of all the holy days, the most familiar to, to New Testament Christians today. Uh, we kind of know the Passover. We, we kind of know, oh, they were to eat the pa- they were to take a Passover lamb. They were to sacrifice it, and, and then they were to eat that lamb in their household. They were to eat it with bitter herbs. They were to eat 
um, eat it with their, in a, how they were dressed with, you know, their, their, uh, their clothes, their, their clothes kind of girded up, ready to go. They had sandals on their feet and they were to eat it in that way because it was a reminder of, of how they, uh, they were delivered from, uh, the, from the Passover when the angel of death passed over uh, their homes because of the blood applied. And all of that we kind of are familiar, but if you notice, none of that's mentioned here. That's not the emphasis here at all. There's, no really, there's only very little mentioned. There's just basic re- a, a reference to the meal here. Uh, nothing mentioned about the dress. Uh, by the way, you can go to Exodus 12 if you want to further learn about the Passover. But we learn instead that this was to be a convocation. It was to be a day of gathering. It was a day when people would gather together to worship. They were to gather. It was a day that was supposed to be free from labor. That is, if you don't work, you're supposed to gather together to worship. You're supposed to gather together for this, for, uh, to worship the Lord. And what is emphasized instead are, the, again, the offerings. The offerings that were to accompany, in addition to the Passover lamb that was to be sacrificed, they were to offer all these others. Again, similarly, just as with the offering of the new moon, two bulls, one ram, seven male lambs, along with their grain and drink offerings, and again, a goat offering, a goat for the sin offering. Again, uh, all of this makes, uh, emphasizes the, the significance of this holy day for the, in the Jewish calendar for the nation of Israel. They all know, of course, when, you don't need to mention it to Israel, they understood what the Passover marked. It marked the, their deliverance from Egypt by the Lord. And when he passed over the first, uh, their homes and their households because of the blood of the Lamb upon the ports, on their doorposts. They were delivered from slavery in Egypt, and even the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminded them of the haste in which they had to leave, leave Egypt. They didn't have time to leaven their bread in, in that way. And so when they observed the Feast of Passover, they observed the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were to remember and worship that the Lord delivered them, that the Lord delivered them. In the plan of God, His Son uh, also died to deliver them on the cross. And he died just throughout the time of the Passover, as we know, in the New Testament. Because Jesus, of course, is the ultimate Passover lamb. That's the first Passover. And we could elaborate all on these. There's so much details here. But let's move on. This is the second annual offering that they were to observe was the Feast of Weeks in verse 26 to 31. Also on the day of the first fruits, when you present a new grain offering to the Lord in your feast weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. You shall offer a burnt offering for a soothing aroma to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, and their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each bull, two-tenths for the one ram, a tenth for each of the seven rams, also one male goat to make atonement for you. Besides the continual burnt offering and its grain offering, you shall present them with their drink offerings. They shall be without defect." Like the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the same amount of animals are offered. This is, this is, the, these annual offerings are, are making much. They're, it's not just two lambs. This, this is a costly salary. The nation was to offer the, the, all these animals to the Lord, along with the grain and drink offerings, as well as the goat for a sin offering. This Feast of Weeks was also known as Pentecost, by the way, because it would take place 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It would it accompanied or marked the end of their harvest, their barley harvest, in fact. And it was a time to worship the Lord for the provision of 
of the harvest, of the, the, the harvest that they received. It was the reminder, the Feast of Weeks was a reminder that their harvest was, comes from the Lord. Now, New Testament, from the New, and from New Testament standpoint, the Feast of Weeks carry, has, additional, stand, has additional even significance because it was on the Feast of Weeks, it was on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when something significant happened for the church. God poured out his Holy Spirit upon the early church. Remember that? The promised helper that Jesus had spoken of in the Gospel of John came on that day. And because of the the power of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of the early church, there was a huge harvest of souls on that day. 3,000 of them were added to the church. The church is... And we think of, and, it, and the church continues to have a harvest, not, a, not of grain, not of barley, but the church continues to have a harvest of souls. And of course, we know that this is only possible because of the provision of Jesus Christ. Then thirdly, there's the, the third annual feast is the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets, 20, move on to chapter 29, verse 1 to 6. Now in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall also have a holy convocation, You shall do no laborious work. It will be to you a day for blowing trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord, one bull, one ram, and seven male lambs, one year old without defect, also their green offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Offer one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you. Besides the burnt offering of the new moon and its grain offering and the continual burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offerings according to their ordinance for a soothing aroma and offering by fire to the Lord. The seventh month had, uh, of the Jewish calendar had three holy festivals. It began on the first day of the month with, this, with what we read here. It was a day, again, uh, similarly, a day of holy convocation. It was a daily free gathering together with the people of God. It was the day free from labor, free from work. Similar annual offerings were offered as the previous annual festivals. Uh, in addition to the daily and the new moon offerings that were, occurred on that day. But this feast was especially commemorated by the blowing of trumpets. If you recall back in Numbers chapter 10, God instructed Moses uh, in, uh, to, to make two trumpets of silver. And they were used, to, they were to be blown for the summing of the congregation, for guiding the congregation throughout the wilderness. Numbers chapter 10, verse 10, I'll read that for you, the significance of, this day, of that, the trumpets. Also in the day of your gladness and in your appointed feasts and on the first days of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be as a reminder of you before your God, I am the Lord your God. And so we see in, from Numbers 10.10 10, that the blowing of trumpets was a reminder that the Lord is their God. They were to be reminded to worship the Lord because the Lord is their God. These trumpets were, were not only a call for them to gather, and not only was it a call for them to set out, not only was it a call for them to go to war, but it was a blown to be a call for them to worship. The people of God are called, among many other things, to called to worship. Brothers and sisters, we're called to worship. That's, that's our, our life uh, to be lived out here on earth, as well as in, into, into eternity in heaven. Well, we, it's one of those things that we are doing now that we'll be doing forever is to worship the Lord. And that's uh, the Feast of Trumpets. Then, uh, 
The next holy day, the fourth holy day, they find is the Day of Atonement. Uh, 29, 7 through 11. Then on the tenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall humble yourselves. You shall not do any work. You shall present, present a burnt offering to the Lord as a soothing aroma. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, having, having them without defect. And their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for one ram, a tenth for each of the seven lambs, one male goat for a sin offering, besides the sin offering of atonement, and the continual burnt offering, and its grain offering, and their drink offerings. Again, here we see that this is the Day of Atonement. This is uh, something that is fully elaborated in Leviticus chapter 16. There's all great things, elaborate details about the, the priest and the high priest and what he would wear, what he would put on, how he would enter, you know, what would have to be tied to his ankle to before he goes in, and all these, and what he would do, what animal, how the animals would be killed, where, where the blood was to be sprinkled, all those details about the Day of Atonement, but none of that's mentioned here, except uh, just simply mention the, the offering for the atonement that is made for them on that day. Instead, there's emphasis here that we see the addition of all these offerings that are to be offered to the Lord on that day. On this day, the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur in Hebrew, which took place on the 10th day of the 7th month, all those offerings were to be made as a reminder to the Israel of the, the great cost, the, the costliness of their, of the, for the atonement of their sins. On that holy day when the high priest would enter into that holy place and offer once, one time that year for the sins of the whole nation and for, and for himself. It was a time for the nation to humble themselves, as we read here as well as in Leviticus 16, before the Lord. It was a time of examination, a time of confession, a time of recognition of sin and repentance. And all these things and these accompanying offerings that are made are a reminder to them <clears throat> of the need for, the, the great need of the nation for atonement of their sins. Of course, ultimately this day too, the day of atonement, pointed to, again, the Lord Jesus, our great high priest who offered himself, not like the high priest year after year, but off, entered into the holy place, not a, a copy, the copy on earth, but the one in heaven when he brought before the sacrifice of his own life that was offered on the cross and once and for all made atonement for all sins for all time for all of God's people. Lastly, we end with the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is, you'll notice that it takes up the, a huge chunk of, of our passage from verses 12 all the way to the end of verse 38. And uh, let's read this, 12 through 38. And then you'll just notice that there's a lot of repetition here. In fact, because it takes place over a period of, uh, of, period of eight days. Verse 12 of chapter 29. Then on the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work, and you shall observe a feast to the Lord for seven days. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering by fire as a soothing aroma to the Lord. Thirteen bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old, which are without defect. And their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenths for each of the two rams, and a tenth for each of the fourteen lambs. And one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offering. Then on the second day, twelve bulls, 
two rams, 14 male lambs, one year old, without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, and its grain offering, and their drink offerings. Then on the third day, 11 bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, one year old, without defect, and their grain offering, and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, and its grain offering, and its drink offering. Then on the fourth day, 10 bulls, Two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old, without defect, their grain offering and the drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Then on the fifth day, nine bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old, without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, and its grain offering and its drink offering. Then on the sixth day, eight bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance. And one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offerings. Then on the seventh day, seven bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs, one year old without defect, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, and by their number according to the ordinance, one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the eighth day, you shall have a solemn assembly. You shall do no laborious work, but you shall present a burnt offering, an offering by fire, as a soothing aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old, without defect. Their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bull, for the ram, and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance, and one male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, and its grain offering, and its drink offering. You shall present these to the Lord at your appointed times, besides your votive offerings and your freewill offerings, for your burnt offerings and for your grain offerings, and for your drink offerings and for your peace offerings. Moses spoke to the sons of Israel in accordance with all that the Lord had commanded Moses. A lot, uh, a lot is said there, but you'll, hopefully you just notice that there's a repetition. It's pretty, there's a pretty clear pattern there. Uh, there's eight days of offerings that are made here on the Feast of Tabernacles. And, uh, and, just, and, so many, and, and if you'll just kind of look at it casually, the Feast of Tabernacles has way more animals sacrificed than any of the other holy days. And the Feast of Tabernacles does become, of, of the three major holidays, the most significant of all the holy days for the Israelite. It's, this Feast of Tabernacles was also known as the Feast of Booths. Sometimes some translations translate it as Feast of Booths. But it just simply means uh, it's a tabernacle. It's a, it's a temporary covering. It's a tent. A tent, uh, not made of like our kind of tents with you know you know special fire. Tents made out of out of uh, out of branches. They were to take branches and they would pick up branches outside and they gather them and they're to make a br- uh, with it make a a, a temporary covering, um, where they wouldn't dwell under those tents for a period of seven days. So by the sheer number of animal offerings, you know, if you, you can, in, there are a lot of uh, charts and stuff. Uh, I wish I had uh, found one that could have put it up for you, but there's, just a, there's a huge amount of animal offerings. This feast stands out as being the most significant of the feast, the greatest of the feasts. 
It involved offering bulls and rams, male lambs, along with their accompanying grain and sin offering, as grain and drink offering, as well as the sin offering of the goat, every day for a period of eight days. This uh, was this feast was further explained or first explained in the Leviticus 23, verses 33 and following. And there it basically was a, remi- a reminder to Israel that of God's protection and provision of them as they dwelt in the wilderness. Uh, let's read uh, 23, 42 to 43. You shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths so that your generation may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. God had them live in booths. God had them live in tents when he brought them out of Egypt. Throughout the wilderness, wherever they traveled, wherever they wandered, they lived in tents. None of them had a permanent home. None of them had a permanent place. They didn't even have an apartment or a condo. They, they had tents. And tents, not even like the tents of our days, but tents that were just wherever they would find wood and basically they could make up their tents and put, their, uh, put a, uh, hopefully some covering over. And this becomes a significant holiday. In fact, it becomes the, really, this seventh month becomes the, the, the new year, the marker of the new year for, the, for Israel uh, later, later in their history. And it was significant. This, this one's emphasized the most because particularly where Israel is at at this moment. They had just wandered through the wilderness. They've completed nearly their 40 years of wandering. And then over the next year, as they enter into the promised land, conquer the enemies of the promised land, take the, the, the cities of the promised land, they're going to start dwelling in permanent homes, in cities, houses, Covering, permanent coverings in the cities of Canaan. But this annual celebration was a reminder for them, for all future generations, that the Lord is their God no matter what they live in, no matter where they live. Whether they lived as slaves in Egypt or as wanderers in the wilderness or as inhabitants of Canaan, the Lord is their God. The Lord is their ultimately their dwelling place, as we studied in earlier numbers. The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booze, reminded Israel that the Lord is their dwelling place. The Lord is the God. He's the one who protected them, provided for them, no matter where they lived. Even though they lived as people without a, people without a home, without a place. God provided and protected them. Annual feasts are times when the people of God, as you can see by the number of offerings of the animals, they make much of the Lord. They, they celebrate the Lord. They, it is a significant involvement. It's like, a, you know, when you come to my house and, and I just serve you chips, you know, it's just like, a, you know, hang, you're just hanging out. When you come to my house and I have prime rib, oh, you know we're celebrating, right? We're making much of it because there's, there's way more food on the table, it's, it's a special time. And so these annual feasts were special times because there were way more animal sacrifice. It's way more. It's, these were times of gather, convocations. They gathered together. The nation gathered, especially the three major holidays, they gathered together to, to come together to worship the Lord, to share meals with each other. 
as they rejoice and remember that the Lord is their God. They're kind of like these annual feasts are kind of like for, serve for us, uh, well, hopefully you get it, but if you need an illustration, it's like our anniversaries. I know all of you love your spouses, right? So why do you need an anniversary for? You just tell them you love them every day, right? It's enough, isn't it? Is it enough? (laughs) But we take time on our wedding anniversary to celebrate and rejoice in our spouse, right? We rejoice. It's this month, isn't it? Happy anniversary. Yeah, just remember that. We rejoice in the Lord in what he's, in, in the love that we have for our spouse and the spouse's love for us. How much more God gives us these offerings to remind us of his love for us and how he's protected, provided for us, and, and saved us. And how much, when we, when we celebrate, when we observe these annual, when the Israelites celebrate these annual, they were making much of their love for God. They want to show it and demonstrate it. Well, Let's conclude, wrap it up here. A sacrifice of these two chapters reminds Israel of their need to worship the Lord all the days of their life. Not, da- not just daily and, and, and not weekly or monthly or annually. They would worship him all the time, in all occasions. And we see that as we observe the emphasis on the offerings, to, to, to worship the Lord would involve a great sacrifice to have a fellowship and relationship with God would require a covering for our sins that would come at great cost. Daily, weekly, monthly, annually, offerings were to be made. Uh, there are some scholars who actually go through and calculate all the numbers of the animals that are calculated in one scholar, and they, they kind of sometimes have a little different, end up having different numbers. But one scholar concluded this. In addition, of course, these are in addition to all the other Offerings that when for individuals when they sin or if they just want to make a peace offering, these, these uh, voluntary offerings. But just here in these two chapters, a total of 113 bulls, 32 rams, 1,086 lambs, and 20 goats are sacrificed by Israel every year that they might continue to have a relationship of, with their Lord, their God, to worship him every year. And that, my friends, brothers and sisters, is a huge amount of animals, a great sacrifice. Every year, God's people are reminded that, there are to- that the atonement for sins comes at a great price. Their relationship with God that is possible comes at a great sacrifice. And yet, for us today who worship the Lord, out of all those animals, you're the lifetime of your animals. Take it, say, 70, 80 years. Multiply that by 113 bulls, 32 rams, 1,086 lambs, and 20 goats. And if you could try to go to find an animal you know, person and find out how much that would cost. And that total would pale in comparison to the actual great price that was paid for so that you and I could have a relationship with our God. For you and I know that it cost God his son. 
all our money together could not buy our relationship with God, could not provide, pay for a single one of our sins. And so God, in his great mercy and love, sent us his son, his son who died in our place. And all these offerings that we've studied this morning, and there's so many details. Well, let me just give you the New Testament interpretation and uh, kind of uh, <laughs> Cliff's Note version. Colossians 2, 16, 17, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. All those Old Testament laws passed away. They were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. All those things point to, they are all fulfilled in Christ. The substance of those things is Christ. But they also, if you notice, they're a shadow of things to come. They're not only, it's not just what we have now, it's pointing to something we're going to have in the future. There's going to be a future festivals and feasts that we celebrate. And you just got to, some of you are going to study Ezekiel in the coming month. You're going to, you know, when you get there eventually, you're going to study some of the festivals and feasts that we're going to be observing in the future in the millennial kingdom. All these offerings, however, point us to God's provision, the offering of his son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Just uh, wrap up with a couple questions for us to think about. They're hopefully uh, just uh, a little app- try to application questions of, our, of, uh, what, uh, of these types of offerings. First of all, with regards to daily on, what do you think will happen in your life if you begin in each day with worship? And not that you have to break out in song every morning, but just begin with a, a praise, an offering of prayer to God, of praise and worship of him. Say, Lord, I thank you for this day. Or at the end of the day, Lord, I thank you for this day. And thank you for this rest. What would that do to you? What do you think that will do for you if you try that? And then secondly, is your weekly worship of the Lord a time for resting in Christ's death for you? Or is it something that you do simply before you enjoy the rest of your day? Maybe you have something you have plans already this, uh, this day. And, uh, but is something we're resting in? Or is it something we're just, uh, you know, waiting through until you get to do what, what we think actually brings us rest? No, the rest we need is right here in Christ, in his word. Thirdly, uh, we move on, a couple, two more questions I have two for you. Is your monthly worship of the Lord in communion, is, it, is that communion time a time for rejoicing in God's mercy for you? Or is it simply going through the motions? The problem with communion or any of our worship, and just as it did for Israel, all the things that they did, their new moons, we can go through the motions of it all. And just as God at some point rebuked them, even for them, your new moons, they're, they're, they're just, that he hated their new moons and their, and their Sabbaths and their festivals because they did it only out of, just because it was habit, but without the right heart. Let's not, let's, and when, in our time of communion, that's a, that's a serious time. It comes with a warning, in fact. It shouldn't just be going through the motions for us. And then lastly, what annual traditions, what holidays, if you will, do you, do you observe? I know we have, you know, nation has holidays. Some of them are very just secular days, but we also have our Christian holidays. And how does your observance of them encourage you to love God more? And that's what they should do. A lot of times when we observe our holidays, it's just a time to, we feel like, um, we feel like Martha is just so busy serving, getting things ready. But they ought to be days that drive us and encourage us to love God more, love God more. Anyways. Uh, these are just some applications, hopefully some uh, of, of, the, of these uh, 
the times of offering for the Lord. Let's uh, close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for the reminder of the great cost in which Israel would approach you and all these offerings that were required to cover their sin reminded them of the, of the sacrifices of lives, animal lives that, reflect, that represented their lives. And thank you, God, that ultimately they all are simply a shadow, a pointer to Jesus Christ, the ultimate Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for your mercy towards us in him. And we pray that you would help us to grow as we worship you throughout our days, daily, weekly, monthly, annually, that we would do so out of a love for you because of your great love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.